Hey, this is Adam Verks, pastor at Glory Church. I'm so excited that you're tuning into our podcast today. I hope this message brings encouragement to you and reminds you of how God sees you. Now, let's get to the message. Perfect. All right, good morning, everyone. Grab a seat. But yes, we leave for Florida. Next week, you all get the privilege of hearing from Miss Laura. She's going to be sharing the word. Uh, Excited to hear what she's going to share. She's talking about the love of God, right? Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, so be here next week if you're, if you're able to. It's going to be an awesome time in worship and, and a good word from Laura. Um, well, today I'm going to continue my series that I've been talking on the last few weeks uh, about how we stay on fire for God. <clears throat> so if you remember, there were five things that I kind of laid out in the initial, um, in the initial uh, service, in the start of the series. There's five things that we can do to stay on fire for God. So first, study the word. Second, pray in the Spirit. Third, be in constant communication or prayer. We talked about that last week. Uh, Number four, spend time in worship. And number five, be consistent or steadfast. So last week we talked about why prayer is so important to our life, why it has such an impact on our life. So prayer is two-faceted, right? Like it's us uh, talking to the Lord, us sharing our needs, uh, our wants, uh, our desires, talking with God, um, but it's also a conversation, so taking time to listen and hear from him. And, and we really need to make sure that we are taking and learning the ability to hear from the Lord. We need to take time. We need to be able to build that up, build that muscle, so to speak, to hear the Lord and know what he is speaking in our lives. So we need to practice that. It's something that takes time. I'm not going to dive in a, a, a ton. If you want to catch that, head on over to our website. You can listen to the sermon there if you missed it last week. Um, but this week I'm going to talk about number four, the fourth one that I talked about. Why making worship a part of your life is so important to staying on fire for God. So why worship is so important to our life when we are serving the Lord and what it, what it looks like. You know, we, we just spent time in worship here at church, but what does it look like in our day-to-day? What should worship look like in our day-to-day lives? Uh, so why is, first and foremost, why is worship so important to our lives as Christians? Anyone? Why is worship so important to our lives as Christians? Well, first and foremost, it's, it establishes our honor, reverence, submission, and love for our Heavenly Father. So when we worship, when we spend time in worship, and we'll get into uh, the, the actual Hebrew and Greek of what worship and how it's defined in, in the Bible here in a little bit, but it really it establishes honor, reverence, submission, and love for our Heavenly Father. So when we are worshiping the Lord, we are giving Him our reverence. We are submitting to Him. We are saying, Lord, I am here to honor You. I am here to revere You. I am here to submit to You because you love me. So I want to show you that in my worship. Worship at its core is positioning oneself in that place of honor, reverence, or respect. Now we worship God, we worship you know, the King of Kings, but you can worship a lot of different things as well. You can worship money, you can worship time, you can worship Um, exercise, you can worship your career, whatever it is. What are you giving place in your life where you're giving honor and reverence to something that not necessarily deserves it? 
So that's really what it is. Worship is at its core is putting, and we, we put God in that place, but it could be putting anything in a place of honor, reverence, or respect. You could even worship a person, a celebrity, an athlete, whatever that might look like. So that is worship at its core. So if we look back in the Old Testament, we're going to start there. The most There's several different Hebrew words that are used to define worship, but the most common is the word shakah. So that one is used 83 different times in the Old Testament to define worship. Shakah, and I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. I had to listen to the pronunciation, uh, but shakah. It's used 83 different times in the Old Testament to define, describe worship. So if you look at how this word is actually translated, what it, what it breaks down to is it means to bow down or prostrate oneself in homage. Say that seven times fast. But the word shakah means to bow down or prostrate oneself in homage. So essentially to put yourself in a position where you are revering something. This is, again, the most common way that, the, that worship is described in the Old Testament. So if we look in Exodus chapter 34, don't feel like you need to turn there, but I'm just going to reference it. Um, after the second set of tablets was created. So Moses is up on Mount Sinai. The second set of tablets is created. He's having this encounter with God, right? And God says, no, you can't see my face. If you see my face, you will surely die. Well, Moses is, is he's having this back and forth. And in, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 8, it says that Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped after God went past him. God told him, you can't see my face. You can see me from behind, but you can't see my face because surely you will die. So God goes past Moses, and it says that Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshiped. This is the definition of shakah. So if you look at how it's described, to bow low, to give reverence for God for who he is. That is what is being described here in the Old Testament. To bow low, to worship, to give reverence, right? Moses realized what he saw, and the only, his only response, his only reaction was to kneel low on the ground and worship him, right? He was giving reverence to him. Later, if you go on in verse 14, the Lord gives Moses this command. And I think we have, maybe this one is up there, maybe not. It says, because the Lord is jealous for his reputation, you are never to bow down to another God. He is a jealous God. He is a jealous God. So you should never, again, I'm going to use the word, shakah, you should never bow down to anyone else other than God. We all know that, right? We should never worship anything else other than our God. So if we go back a few chapters, why in the world did we need a second set of tablets to begin with? Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, and he sees Aaron, one of his leaders, doing what? He made a golden calf that everybody wanted to worship. So he comes down after having this moment, this encounter with God on Mount Sinai, carrying these tablets. They end up getting broken because he throws them. Because he was so distraught that these people that just had been seen all the plagues in Egypt, God had rescued them miraculously, the part of the Red Sea, provided food for them. And what do they do? They go back to their old ways. They're worshiping something that they shouldn't worship. 
Now you can imagine as their leader, I can, I can just picture Moses' face in that moment. Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? I was gone for like not that long. And this is what you do? And then he looks at one of his leaders and says, Aaron, what are you doing? What's the, what the people wanted? It's what the people wanted. And how often do we worship things in our society today that that's what people wanted? Whether that's, again, all these different things. Musicians, even Christian musicians, we can put on a pedestal and instead of worshiping God, we worship the amazing talent that they have. Worship is not about being perfectly musically talented. That is a gift that God uses, but it is not about that. It is about giving reverence to God the Father. And through that, through that heart of worship, that is when God comes in and moves. So throughout the Old Testament, we see this happen over and over again, this shakah, this worship, bending low, bending a knee in reverence of a holy God. So what does the New Testament say about worship? So we know that's what the Old Testament says. And again, if you really want to get into the Hebrew, you can find a lot of different words that are very similar in nature that mean similar things. Shekah is the one that seemed to, as I was studying, was used most frequent. So in the New Testament, the word that is most commonly used for worship in the Greek is proskuenio. I think I said that right. Proskuenio. It's similar to the same word in, in Hebrew, shakah, that's found in the Old Testament. According to the Strong's Concordance, proskuenio is defined as to do reverence to. The plural version of this word, and I'm going to teach a little bit this morning, uh, the plural version of this word is proskuenietis, which is described as a worshiper. Proskuenietis. When Jesus is having a conversation with the woman at the well, John chapter 4, this is the word that he uses to describe a worshiper. Jesus says to the woman at the well, you will worship in what? Spirit and truth. True worshipers will worship in spirit and truth. So we can understand that in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, that worship means this, based off of the most common words that are used to describe that. That one that worships God does it in such a way that gives reverence, awe, wonder, and bows before him. Right? Shekah and proskuenio. And we can look through the Bible and find a lot of different passages that describe this. I'm going to rattle off a bunch. Uh, I think a few of these will be there, Cliff. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 13, it says, Sing to the Lord, give praise to the Lord. He rescues the life of the needy from the hands of the wicked. 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 38 and 39, Do not forget the covenant I have made with you, and do not worship other gods. Rather, worship the Lord your God. It is He who will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. Psalm chapter 95, verse 6, Come, let's worship and bow down. Let's kneel before the Lord our Maker. Psalm 100, verse 4, Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and bless His name. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. 
leadership, John chapter 4, 23 and 24, Jesus says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. That was a lot. That was a lot of, a lot of different verses that talk about worship. And there's more and more and more. That's just a handful. Worship is critical to our relationship with Christ. It is critical to our relationship with Christ. You can look and you can find in the Word many, 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 many examples of worship, right? David, we know, loved to worship God, right? He loved to worship the Lord. He played the harp. He, he was very musical. You know, he, he would actually go, and as Saul was having his issues... King Saul, he would go and he would play the harp for him. And, and his worship would calm the king's nerves. They would calm him. They were soothing to him. So we know that worship has an impact on our relationship with Christ. It puts us and positions us in a place to receive from the Father. It gets our heart ready to hear from heaven, right? And you can worship. Like we worship every Sunday, right? But worship is not limited to Laura leading us or Sarah leading us or anyone else. It's not limited to Sunday mornings. We should be entering into worship every day. Every single day. You should be listening and entering into worship. Now again, that doesn't mean you got to have the whatever worship team band you want playing on Blair on your house all day long. No, it just means that you are in constant awareness of the awe and reverence that you give to God. That is worship. When you are going about your day and you say, God, you are so good. Oh man, you are so good. I can't believe that you've given me all of these things. That is worship. When you are so aware of the goodness of God, when you are so aware of the awe and you give him reverence in your life, that is worship. We sing all of these incredibly beautiful songs to worship God. To worship God. And the, in, in the best worship songs, or the best things, are the ones that point us back to Jesus. Right? The songs that point us back to the character of Jesus. The things that we do that point us back to the love of Jesus. So worship doesn't have to be just contained to Sunday mornings. It should be something that we are constantly aware of, constantly in. You'll find that if you, if you create that atmosphere in your life, or maybe you start your day listening to some worship music. You start your day thanking God and you're in a spirit of thankfulness and worship. You'll find that as you're going about your day, that song that you were listening to this morning will just pop up and you'll be singing it either in your head or quietly or maybe not quietly, just out of the blue. I had that a few weeks ago. I was at work walking through a Target store and that song, the song that we were just singing, Holy and Anointed One, was just like in my spirit. I kept singing it and singing it and singing it. Couldn't stop. Wasn't doing it intentionally. But when you spend time in worship, that's what gets inside you. What you feed is what's going to come out. So if you're feeding yourself the word and worship, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. If you're feeding yourself things that are not, that are contrary to the word of God, that are contrary to the way that God sees you, the way that God has called you to be, that's the stuff that's going to come out of you. So feed yourself worship. Feed yourself worship music. Put yourself in a position of awe and reverence to the king. 
So while the original Hebrew and Greek words are used to describe worshiply primarily to signify to bow down in reverence, there's also some other ways throughout Scripture that worship can look different than this. Again, we talk about the singing praises to give thanks for all that he has done for us. Entering into thanksgiving, again, for all the wonderful things he has done. We can bless his name. We can surrender our lives to him, sacrificing our own desires for his. And then as Jesus said, we worship him in spirit and in truth. So all of this, shakah, proskuenio, why does worship help keep our fire burning for God? So when we spend time in worship, when we spend time giving reverence to God, it takes the attention off the things that are happening around us and puts it where it belongs. When we spend time in worship, it takes the attention off the things that are happening around us and puts our attention where it belongs, on Him. Songs of Thanksgiving. Uh, they, songs of Thanksgiving, I can't think of one right now, but it turns our heart to Him. When we bless His name, it reminds us of all the things He has done for us. When we bow low to Him, it reminds us that He is in control and is working all things together for good. I remember growing up, we went to, a, as, as Tim Hawkins would say, a hand-raising church. Uh, that, was our, that was our church growing up. And I remember being about nine or ten years old and being in one of the family services where all the kids were in during the service. And I'd see all these people raising their hands. And when I was that age, I didn't quite understand it. Why are you raising your hands? That's embarrassing. I remember my mom, y'all know my mom, she was the one during worship that would be like just loud and into it, and it was awesome. But again, as a kid, I was like, mother, what are you doing? It's embarrassing. My friend is over there. They're staring at us. They weren't actually, but I thought they were, right? But as I grew and understood more things, I understood that raising your hands was a sign of surrender, of saying, Lord, I give you all control in my life. I surrender my will for you. And now I'm obviously not concerned about that, but I've had that same conversation with Graham about worship and how it's so important to our walk with God. And honestly, the enemy hates it when we worship. He hates it when we worship. It gets to him. He hates when we're taking our time that he wants to steal, giving praise, adoration, thanks, and surrender to our king. He hates it. He wants to stop us from entering into a place of worship. He wants us to focus not on Jesus, but he wants us to focus on ourselves. And, and, I, and I'll tell you this. In society, in whatever it may be, you can worship yourself. You can worship yourself, Right? Now, I'm not saying that there's not times that you need to take care of yourself, but you can get to a place where that is the only thing that you think about is yourself. And we should never be in that position as Christians. We should be in a position where we are taking our attention, our focus off of Jesus. Because when we put our attention there, he's going to point us where we need to go. But if we're only focused on ourselves, our issues, our problems... It takes our attention off of him. And we can worship ourselves. We don't want to do that. However, the enemy likes to keep us trapped there. Because if he can keep our attention on our own issues, our own problems, our own things, 
It keeps our attention off of Jesus. Because he knows that if we give our attention to Jesus, Jesus is going to fix it. He's going to solve it. He's going to take care of it. But if he keeps our attention and our focus on ourselves, oh, I can do that. I can fix it. I'm better. I can do this. I can do that. Worship is taking the attention off of yourself and putting it on Jesus. Not worshiping yourself, worshiping him. Right? That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to keep us trapped there. And if we do, the fire that we once had for God will slowly start to fade because we're now focused more on our own needs, our own desires, instead of spending the time where we need to. We need to look at the enemy in those situations and we need to tell him where to go. He needs to go away. Go away. Leave me alone. I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to worship the Father. And there's so much power when we do that. When we look at the enemy and say, I'm not going to believe those things. I'm going to believe that God has come through in the past. That he's going to do it again. That he, I'm going to praise him through it. That I'm going to worship him for all that he is. Because when the enemy tries to remind you of your circumstance, when you worship and remind him of who God is, that's when you start to see breakthrough in your life. When you start to say, no, 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 no. I'm going to worship through it. I'm going to worship through it. That's when you start to see things turn around. And it might not be immediate. It might not be immediate, but I'm going to worship him even when it's hard. I'm going to choose to worship you instead of worship my circumstance. Look at David. Mentioned him earlier. David, I want to show a few examples. He knew how to worship. We all know that. But it wasn't only when things were going great for him. It was also when situations looked the bleakest. But what did he do? He continued to worship even sometimes in the same moment. He would acknowledge his situation, but he would follow that by acknowledging the character of God. So if you look at Psalm chapter 3, it says, Lord, and I'm going to read out of the New Living, Lord, my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help from him, for him in, in God. He's acknowledging his situation. But look what he does. Chapter, verse 3. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. So David is literally telling you what is going on. He's got people coming against him that want to attack him. He has foes. But what does he do? He acknowledges that, but he reminds himself of who God is. That is worship. That is worship. That is putting our attention and focus and reverence on God, not on our current situation. So when we worship, even when times are tough, it does three things. Write these down. It reminds the enemy who has the victory. It encourages our faith. It reminds us of our true identity. It surrenders our will and trust that God will come through when we need it most. Again, it reminds the enemy who has the victory. It encourages our faith, and it surrenders our will. It's so important that even when times are tough, that we take time to worship, that we take time to get in front of the Father and say, I am here, I trust you. I'm giving you the, awe, the honor that you deserve. But keeping the fire burning for the Lord through worship is so much more than just singing some really good songs. It's truly about your heart posture in worship. 
It's about your heart posture in worship. I'm going to expound on this a little bit. It's about your heart posture in worship. You can, you can go to the Father. You can say, I'm going to worship you. And if you sit there and you like just listen to the music and you're not actually in a position of honor and reverence to the Lord, you can hear the music, you can even sing along, but your heart isn't in the right place. Your heart has to be in a position of worship to enter into worship. It has to be. It has to be in a spot that you're giving the honor and reverence to God before you even start singing. That you expect God to do something because your heart is in, a, in an expectant way. It's expecting. And let's face it. We all know nowadays there's some incredible worship music out there. Incredible worship music. And incredibly talented people. Growing up, my parents had a tape in our minivan. So I'm going to take you back to 1995. We had a Dodge Grand Caravan. Light blue. Wood trim all along the side. <laughs> Y'all probably seen them. I don't think they're on the road anymore, but that was our car growing up. We would pile into the van on Sunday mornings. Usually there'd be some discussion, arguments between the siblings of who got the good seat, the seat that, you know, it had two, two seats in the middle and three in the back. The seat that was on the far right so you could extend your legs a little further. The good seat, right? We would pile into the van on Sunday mornings and my parents would put in the Ron Cannoli tape, integrity music. If you've never heard some Ron Cannoli lore, and I talk about it all the time. I can still remember some of those songs. It's been 30 years, and I can still, they'll play, and I, I can sing right along. Sing right along. Now, if you listen to it, you'd be like, this is definitely from the 90s, right? Because there's such great musicians. But in the moment, man, we'd be driving to, we went to church in Baldwin, Wisconsin. We'd be driving my parents say, okay, kids, it's time to be quiet. We're going to pray and we're going to worship. And that was what we did every Sunday morning on the way to church. You can imagine as a five-year-old, you're like, I have to be quiet for 20 minutes. I can't do that. Um, but it was. It was preparing. My parents would use that time to prepare their hearts to enter into worship at church. So we would listen to Ron Cannoli. Find it. Find it. Listen to some. It's great. Ron Cannoli is a talented musician, right? But you can't just rely on a talented musician to enter in for you. Laura is an incredible musician. You can't just rely on Laura to do the work for you. You can't. You have to get your heart in a place to receive from God. You have to get your heart in a position to receive from God. Right? It can't just be on a musician. And because of all of this incredible music that we have, Maverick City, Bethel, Elevation, you, lit, you name it, right? All these incredibly talented worship teams, we, ha we can sometimes have this tainted view of what actually worship is. We can see worship as, I have to be in a room with this incredible band in order to worship, right? That's not what worship is. It's not. And if we put ourselves in a box and expect that that's what worship needs to look like, you're going to be sorely disappointed. You are. Because even in some of those moments where you've got incredible musicians, if you aren't coming and preparing yourself in a heart posture to receive from God, you're just singing the songs. And I've been there. We used to go to Living Word. Incredible, incredible musicians. 
And there were sometimes I'd go into worship, all of these incredible musicians, guitar players, keyboard players, whatever, vocalists. And I'd sit in worship and I'd sing the songs and I'd go, wow, that was a dud. It wasn't that they were bad. The musicians were bad. They had incredible, they were incredibly talented. It was my heart posture going into it. Maybe I'd gotten in an argument with Sheree that morning. You've all been there. Sometimes those arguments seem to happen on Sunday mornings more than they do any other moment. I don't know why. Or maybe I had a bad, bad week at work or I was distracted. But my heart posture wasn't in the place to receive from God. Usually, you know, you go to these conferences, right? We have conferences here. God moves in those moments. Why? Because oftentimes people are coming with a heart posture of expectation. They come with a heart posture of expecting God to move. And why don't we do that? Why don't we have that on Sunday mornings? Right? We should be coming to church expecting God to move. Having a heart posture expecting that when we worship God, He's going to do something that only He can do. If we come to church just to come to church, that's great. I'm happy that you're here. I would love and I just expect that God is going to do something new every day. But it's up to you and how you bring your heart to church, whether or not you're going to receive something from God. You can come, and the community is fantastic. I love that we have a place that we can gather together. But if you come expecting God to do something, He will. You just have to have the heart posture to do it. Worship is about giving reverence, surrender, and honor to our King. That can be done with an incredible worship team or one person playing the piano or one person playing the guitar or one person singing a cappella. If your heart is in the right place and you yearn to worship the king, you will. If your heart is in the right place, it starts there though. If we really want to stay on fire for God, we have to have a heart posture that wants to worship the Lord, that yearns for that, that yearns to spend time in his presence through worship. The focus of worship all along is the adoration of God and our heart's response. Keeping our heart in a place of surrender, of adoration and reverence to our Father will allow us to focus on Him instead of on musicians. Let me say that again. Keeping our heart in a place of surrender, of adoration and reverence to our Father will allow us to focus on Him instead of on musicians. You can go to any church, any place, and if you walk in and your heart is in the right place, you can enter into worship. No matter the musicians, their talent level, whatever it may be, it boils down to you. God didn't say, make a joyful noise only if you have a good voice. No. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Right? It's your heart posture. How are you expecting God to speak to you? What are you expecting for Him to do during worship? Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 tells us, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. Worship starts there. We need to guard our heart. Are you allowing yourself to enter into his presence, to give him full surrender, to come to him boldly, and lift his name on high every day? Or are you just doing that on Sundays? Are you just doing that on Sundays? Are you doing that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Sometimes for only five minutes. It's all you need. 
Put on Air One in the car. They got good worship music. Put it on. Listen to it. Nate always tells me he's driving plow at night. I'm worshiping all night. Use it in worship in the moments that you can. That's sometimes in the car. That's sometimes in the bathroom when you're taking a shower. Sing a joyful noise to the Lord. Worship Him. Give Him that awe and wonder. Some days that might be an hour. Some days it might be between changing diapers. It's just what it is. But we need to have our heart in a position of worship at all times. Are you taking that time to intentionally worship Him? To thank Him for all that He has done? Are you thanking him? Are you giving him? Wow, God, you are so good. You've given me amazing wife, amazing children. I'm so thankful for you. I worship you. Are you taking the time to do that? It will shift your perspective. It does. It takes your perspective and shifts it away from yourself and gives it back to God. To recognize and celebrate his lordship in your life. To bow and reverence the incredible God that he is. Or... Are you allowing the cares of this world to block you from entering into that place? An atmosphere of worship is established when we all come together, readily expecting to enter into his presence through an attitude of worship and praise. Let me say that again. An atmosphere of worship is established when we all come together, readily expecting to enter into his presence through an attitude of worship and praise when we all come together. There's a, a, another example of this in the Old Testament. I'm sure many of you know the story of Jehoshaphat. I've probably mentioned it a few times. It's one of my favorite stories. So Jehoshaphat, if you don't know, he's got three different people groups coming to attack him. And he seeks the Lord and goes, oh, what am I going to do? And this is in 2 Chronicles. What does he do? First off, he didn't fear. He knew that God would be there with him. Secondly, instead of sending out his top military officials, his top-ranking folks, what does he do? Does anybody know? He sends the worship team out. So I want, I want you to think. You're stand, you're, maybe you're somebody who plays the, you, you know, back then you're, you're playing the harp. And you're small, you're petite, you're playing the harp, and you're standing next to this big military guy. And the king walks up to you and says, Hey, I want you going first, and then the big strong guy is going to be behind you. you got to trust that God's going to come through in order to walk into that situation. Because if it doesn't, you're going, oh, I'm dead. So, anyways. So, Jehoshaphat was so convicted, and he sent the worshipers out. And what happens? The worshipers go out in front of the military, in front of the armies. Those three people groups that were coming to kill Jehoshaphat, they turn on each other end up obliterating each other. And Jehoshaphat, they walk up onto the scene of all of these people dead. What do they do? They get to gather and collect all of the things that were left behind by their enemies. So God, Jehoshaphat sends out the worshipers. All of his foes get destroyed and they're just worshiping God, worshiping the king. Now I want to ask you, how many times is that our inclination? We're up against a serious foe, a situation. Do we take the time to worship first? To send out our worship ahead of us? We got a tough meeting at work. We got a tough client, a meeting that we don't. Do you take time to worship to prepare yourself for that? Or are you just 
going full steam ahead. I'm going to conquer this. Sometimes you might come out victorious. Sometimes you won't. Worship is all about preparation. And that's what, in this example with Jehoshaphat, he did that. He sent out his worshipers. He, didn't, he, didn't, he couldn't see how it was going to end, but he knew that was the way that the Lord had guided him to start. And that's just how God works. If we approach him with the correct heart posture, not only does he give us a, a way a, a outside around our enemies, he will remove the obstacles, he will take care of unwanted challenges, and he'll actually leave you better on the other side. Jehoshaphat's armies didn't have to fight at all, but they were left better on the other side. When we worship first, when we position ourselves with a heart posture of worship, he's going to remove the obstacles, unnecessary challenges, and leave us better on the other side. Amen? Amen. So what is your attitude or perspective in worship? Are you experiencing the presence of God? Or are you just waiting for the music to be done? Are you distracted? Are you on your phone? Some tough questions. What is your expectation when worship starts on Sundays at your home? What is your expectation? Last week I talked about you want to really spend time in prayer with the Lord. You've got to eliminate distractions. The same is true of worship. You've got to eliminate distractions. Position yourself in a way to not be distracted. Distracted by your kids, distracted by your phone, distracted by whatever. Position yourself to not be distracted. In order for us to have a heart that cries to worship Him, you need to know Him. And not just know Him, you need to know Him. Know Him. You need to have a solid foundation, a relationship that takes first place, opens the door for us to worship freely. It takes worship from just an outward act to an inward reality. When our heart is in the right position, when we have a heart posture to worship the Lord, it takes it just from an outward external act to an inward reality. And that inward reality that is surrendering our way, our life to the one that we love, the one who cares for us, so deeply, the one who would never leave us or forsake us, the one who has good plans for each of us, the one that we can rest on, our helper, our provider, our confidant, and ultimately the one who laid down his life for us. When we enter into worship with a heart posture that is expecting God to move, not only do we see him move in our life, but it puts us in a place of reverence for our King. C.S. Lewis shared this. When Christ died, he died for you individually just as much as if you had been the only man in the world. That's who we worship. The one that came willingly to die a horrible death on the cross because he died for us just like we were the only person left. And if we were the only person left, he still would have done it. He still would have done it. Worshiping the Lord, having a heart that yearns to praise him, is how we keep our fire going strong for the Lord. But we've got to take time to do it. We've got to make time to do it. 
Start your day that way. End your day that way. Find time in the middle of the day, whatever it is for you. In order for us to take time to worship, we have to make time to worship. There's always going to be other priorities. There's always going to be other things that you have to do. But if you're making the time to worship, it's going to position yourself where you keep your fire going for the Lord. And you know what? The disciples knew it. They did. As the early church began, it says in Acts chapter 2 that the Lord added to their number. And what did they do? Well, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verse 46 and 47, it says they broke bread together, they enjoyed each other's company, and they praised the Lord together. They broke bread together, they had meals with each other, they enjoyed each other's company. I'm sure most of you enjoy each other's company. And they praised the Lord together. That is who we worship, the King of Kings. That's who Jesus is. When we worship together, when we come together, it needs to be in one accord. It needs to be unified, coming together in unity to glorify our Heavenly Father together. Paul writes in Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6, he says, Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus. In harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus. So that, may, that way you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. So let's do that today, tomorrow, moving forward. When we come together, let's be unified. Let's come together in harmony so that way we can worship our King together. Let's continue to enter into His presence with hearts postured in awe in reverence of our King, unified and in harmony as we meet together. Whether that's here in church, in our church community, or at home. If you're married and you have a spouse, are you unified together? Are you taking time to pray together? Are you taking time to worship together? There's, there's a lot of power when a married couple takes time together to pray, to worship together. So I would encourage you, in whatever situation it is, position your heart in a posture to receive from God. Position your heart in a way to receive from God at any time when you're worshiping. And make the time to do it. Make the time. You might be saying, Adam, how do I make the time? How do I set aside time in my day just to worship? Start with a few minutes. Start with one song. Start with five minutes. Start with driving in your car, right, Laura? Start there. Find time in your day that you can do that. And eliminate the distractions. Maybe instead of listening to the podcast in your commute, listen to a couple worship songs. You need a playlist? Ask me. I can get you one. But start somewhere. Start somewhere. Worship is so impactful to our relationship with the Lord. But we have to be ready and position our heart in a way to receive from Him so that way we can actually hear from Him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to receive communion this afternoon. Uh, so as Chris and Steve grab and, and prepare that, um, you know, the kids are actually taking communion each Sunday in, in children's ministry, which is really cool. Um, and, and Anne and Tally and Sarah have been taking time to explain what 
communion is and, and why, why we do it. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you. Um, communion is, we, we do this every Sunday, right? We take communion together as a body. And I know we talk about the, the, the example that it is for us in Christ, that when we take the bread, we are remembering the sacrifice that his body uh, was broken for us. And when we take the, the grape juice, we remember the blood that was shed for us. And it's important for us to know that when we take communion, it's an opportunity for us to worship the Lord in a different way. To worship and remember and give him honor and reverence for his body and his blood that was broken for us. The significance that it has in our own life. That when we worship God and we worship Jesus and we thank him for dying on the cross for us, we are remembering the broken body and the blood of Jesus that was spilled for us. I would encourage you, if you aren't doing this already, find a way. Take communion at home. Take communion at home. If you're not feeling well, take communion. If you got a situation, take communion. It reminds us and gives us this remembrance of who Jesus is in our lives, what he did for us, and what the cross means. That when he bore his stripes, we are healed. That his broken body was, was given to us, Lord. That, that he took the pain and the punishment on the cross because he cares for us. So go ahead and take your bread. And as Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he said, this bread represents my body. He broke it. And he said, take, eat, remember me as often as you should eat this. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents my blood the blood that will be shed for you. Every time you drink it, remember me. Lord, we are so thankful for how good you are, that we can worship you together in harmony, in unity, in one accord. Lord, I just ask that we position our hearts in a place of expectancy. A place of expectancy that when we come to you in worship at home or together at church, Lord, that we are expecting you to speak to our hearts, to move in our midst. Lord, our focus and attention is only on you. It's not on anything else or anyone else. Our focus and attention is solely on you. Lord, give us a heart that yearns to spend time in your presence and worship. Lord, no matter what's happening around us, no matter the situation or circumstance that's swirling around us, at work, at home, at school, wherever it may be, that when we worship, we can acknowledge that, but remind ourselves of who you are, our provider. That your love never fails. 
Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you that as we go out from this place today, that you would be with us, that you would go before us, that you would continue to lead and guide our lives in every way that we do, everywhere that we go. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I want to close this morning with just a few quick announcements. Um, I hope you all had a fantastic Valentine's Day. Uh, if, if you were celebrating, uh, I, I will tell you that Valentine's Day is probably my, don't call me a Grinch, my least favorite holiday. Not because I don't love to bless my wife. I just don't think that you should only be able to only have to do that once a year. Uh, and it's, it's a commercial holiday. Um, anyways, I hope you had a fantastic Valentine's Day. Uh, we, we made some heart-shaped waffles for the kids. They thought it was fantastic. Uh, just a few quick announcements. Our next men's breakfast is Saturday, March 16th here at church, 8.30 a.m. Uh, we have a sign-up sheet on the giving table. So if you plan to attend, please put your name down with your email. Eric will be reaching out, out to you just on any dietary restrictions or anything that you might need. Um, but please sign up so that we know how many guys are going to be coming. And invite other guys. So even if you're like, oh, I can't sign this person up, I'm not sure. Have them come anyways. Uh, if you know that you're going to come, please take some time to sign up. We're having breakfast burritos this next time. So uh, excited for that. Uh, Easter is not that far away. So about six weeks away. Uh, Mar Sunday, March 31st. Uh, my favorite service of the year, I think. Um, invite some folks. If you know people that don't have a church home, invite them to come um, and join us on Easter Sunday. Uh, Tuesday nights at 6.30, we pray together. Um, we worship together. Come if you can. This week, Shree and I are actually out of town. Our family's heading to Florida, like I had mentioned earlier. Miss Ann is going to be leading prayer on Tuesday, so we will still be having prayer 6.30 here at the church. Uh, life groups, we have a, one that meets in Minnesota, one that meets Wisconsin Thursday nights at 6.30. The Minnesota life group will be meeting at Dee Dee's house this week. Uh, so if you are planning on attending, please reach out to Dee Dee and let her know so that way she is prepared. The Wisconsin life group meets at the Price's house. And if you're not connected on Slack and you would like to be, please find me after service. I can easily send you a link to get you added. And then last but not least, if you'd like to give, you can go to our website and give. We have a giving table in the back, or you can do it via the Church Center app. Um, otherwise, have a fantastic week. There's some goodies that Chris has uh, blessed us with. Grab some treats, enjoy each other's company, and we'll see everyone in two weeks. Love you all. Hey, this is Adam Verks, pastor at Glory Church. I'm so excited that you're tuning into our podcast today. I hope this message brings encouragement to you and reminds you of how God sees you. Now, let's get to the message.